Welcome to World Policy on Air, a weekly podcast from the pages and website of World Policy Journal, published by the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. I'm David Alpern. In this week's program, posting September 16, 2016, we talk with British filmmaker Rosa Rogers about her documentary Casablanca Calling, spotlighting the mission of Morocco's Morshidat, female religious guides, to counter Islamic extremism. You're listening to World Policy on Air. Now this. In Morocco, women preachers are taking up frontline positions in the fight against Islamic radicalism. The Murshidat, as they're known, were created after the 2003 bombings in Casablanca. That, that the Islam practice is, is, is getting you know, more and more extreme. And there was a need to readdress the situation. From the soundtrack of the documentary Casablanca Calling, about the Morshidat of Morocco, female religious guides, and how, with the blessing of King Mohammed VI, they are moderating and modernizing the understanding of Islam and the role of women as well. A recent University of Miami study revealed that there are more female adherents in the Islamic State than previously thought, with stronger connections than men to other members, because women are more used as messengers and communicators. In 2006, three years after the Casablanca bombings that killed 45 people, Morocco's Ministry of Islamic Affairs decided to harness the power of women as communicators with an intensive year-long training program in both Quran and secular subjects such as psychology and international affairs. After graduation, the women work out of local mosques, but also in schools, orphanages, hospitals, even prisons, as well as fields and shops and homes. As noted by a recent World Policy blog post headlined, Morocco Leads Religious Reform. To make Casablanca calling, British director Rosa Rogers followed Morshidat in all those places, and we talked about her film and the Morshidat program recently for this podcast. Rosa Rogers, welcome to World Policy on Air. Thank you very much. How did you first come to know about the Morshidats? Well, bizarrely, I read about, I was actually filming another program in China, and there was a small piece in an English-language newspaper in China about them, which, um, which was kind of intriguing, because there wasn't much reported in the media in the UK, but I was just really interested immediately, and um, got in touch with the Moroccan embassy when we got back to the UK, and that was, that was how it began. That was actually in 2008, so quite a long time ago. Wow. How much time did you spend with them to make this film? Well, it was it was made it was filmed over a period of about two and a half years, but not continuously. So I'm based in the UK, but I would go out a couple of times a year to sort of catch up with what was happening um, and and pick up with people. So it was it was it was over quite a long time, but probably about six weeks of filming, I'd say in total, six or seven weeks. From the film, it seems at least one of the Morshidats you followed is married with a family. Is that true of all of them, to provide some traditional stature when they promote modern ideas, such as education and careers for young women? Or are some of the Morshidats single themselves with this uh, government-backed calling? 
Um, it's a complete mixture. I mean, there's a real range of people, of women who become Morshidat. The, the, the criteria is that they have to have a first degree. They have to demonstrate um, knowledge of the Quran already. So they have to know half the Quran by heart to apl- before they apply. And then they have to do an exam to get accepted onto the training program. So there's a real range of women in terms of their age and the jobs that they've done before. And some of them are married with families. Some of them are single. There's no kind of set or fixed rules. It's just a very, very wide range of women who, who were drawn to do this job. The film shows less pushback than I would have imagined from Islamic traditionalists, especially men and, and parents of both sexes. Rather, they seem to have an amused or bemused, uh, that's the way it is reaction when the Morshidat argue there's no support in the Quran for beating wives, keeping girls from educations or careers. Were there some angry encounters that you couldn't film? No, not really. I mean, we expected there to be a lot more uh, sort of conflict, really, um, in what we saw. But I think Morocco is traditionally um, quite a tolerant society. I mean, there are lots of quite repressive traditions, but it's also very open um, in terms of the way Islam is practiced. And the sort of shift that's happened maybe in the last sort of 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years, is the sort of spread of much more um, conservative and fundamentalist Islam from Saudi Arabia and from the Gulf states. Um, so that, that's actually quite new. So in a way, I mean, there are people who, there are people who don't agree with what they're doing, um, but generally, generally the attitude is, is quite, quite open. It was interesting because actually each year there's an annual pilgrimage to the Hajj in, um, in Mecca, and I don't know how I don't know what the numbers are, but hundreds, possibly even thousands, of Moroccans all go together, and it's organised by the government. And it's actually the Morshidat to accompany them. So they're taking groups of men and women, um, and are in charge of their kind of religious and spiritual journey. And we met some of the people who were going, and although they were quite sort of surprised initially that they they were being sort of led by a woman, nobody was actually um, resistant to it. So. I think I think probably any resistance that there is 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 more political, because the Morshidat is a government program, and so therefore people who have issues with the government may not agree with them. But even even amongst the sort of more conservative, um, the more conservative sort of members of the population, they may not agree with some of the things that the Morshidat preach, but they don't have an issue with women teaching Islam. The Morshidat are understood to have learned the Quran, but I don't think I ever saw the sacred book brought out to prove a point. Do some traditionalists demand to see it for proof? Possibly. We didn't see that while we were filming. Um, but, and if they did, I mean, the Morshidat know their Quran sort of back to front, so they'd certainly be able to, to prove a point. Um, but no, no, that never, that never happened. I mean, the thing with the Quran is the language that's used is 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 quite poetic and open to interpretation in different ways, I guess, like a lot of religious texts. So that's often where the conflict comes from, because different people will argue that the same verse in the Quran means, means different things. A similar question arises from the Morshidat repeated reference to the prominent position of women in early Islam as architects, mm. scholars, even warriors. Are they ever asked to present proof by dubious traditionalists? I mean, is their word just accepted that that, that is true? 
No, I think that, I mean, that is universally accepted because that's so much part of the Quran and what people are taught about Muhammad and, uh, you know, the, the, the life that he led. It's such a sort of big part of people's early education that actually most people are very aware um, that women had those roles. And there's, it's just a strange contradiction, therefore, that there are some people who claim to be very religious who say that that's not what women should be doing now, you know, that they should be in the home. It's a, it's a, it's a contradiction. But I would say that most people, certainly with a religious knowledge, are aware of that. People who sort of maybe don't know so much about religion might find that surprising. But people, people who have studied anything about religion or even even the basics would know that it's quite a sort of accept, widely accepted uh, bit of history what is your best understanding of why a religion and a culture that once permitted women to play such a key role has since devolved the way it has to such gender inequity how did the morshidat explain it say that it's not from the religion. I mean, Islam, when Islam came, it came into a sort of culture and a region where women were treated incredibly badly. Um, and at the time, it was quite radical in terms of what Muhammad was teaching about the way women should be treated um, and the roles that, that women had. I think the Morshidat would probably say that what's happened is that the sort of his original teachings have been lost a bit and just incorporated into dominant cultural norms, which are very sexist, as they have been actually, you know, around the world, not only in in Muslim countries, um, and that in Muslim countries there's things gender sort of equality hasn't caught hasn't sort of progressed in the way that it has in lots of other cultures and that it needs that needs to happen very quickly about the only spoken english in the film are the media sound bites we play to begin this conversation portraying the morshidat as a tool for fighting radical extremism and terror but almost all the scenes of these women at work focus on restraining and replacing the excesses and abuses of traditional islam especially oppression of women did you witness any anti-extremist exchanges that you couldn't film or or is the morshidat preaching of a more modern a moderate Islam seen as sufficient inoculation against uh, ISIS-style appeals? Well, we, we didn't, certainly with the cameras there, we didn't come across any sort of direct conversations where they were, you know, dealing or confronting people with extremist views. But they certainly told us stories about people that they'd, they'd worked with. There was a story of one young boy in an orphanage who, as he sort of, was growing up was talking about wanting to become a suicide bomber and one of the more should spent a year or two sort of really quite intensely with him working with him and talking to him about his life and all kinds of things and by the by the end of that period he'd completely changed his mind and he ended up going to university and i think he's now become a teacher so that that's a story that that we were told and we heard other stories similar to that but we didn't actually come across it but i think to be honest that probably with a camera that might be it would be hard to find. I think we'd probably have to be there with a the camera all day, every day for a long, long time to 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 pick up on something like that because people are very uh, people are much more cautious about what they say when the camera's there. Understandably, the first yeah. time I visited Morocco in the 70s, I guess satellite dishes were not a frequent sight. Ten years later, they were everywhere. Does mm. this connection to the outside world make the Morshidat task easier or harder because traditionalists see modern threats so much more clearly? Um, 
Well, it's interesting. I think I think probably the biggest influence uh, from satellite dishes that the, the Morshadat are dealing with is the influence of more um, more extreme preachers, you know, particularly from the Gulf states and Saudi Arabia, who are now on, you know, satellite dishes across Morocco all day, every day. So that that sort of much more extreme ideology is being preached and and sort of incorporated into Moroccan society in a way that it, it just wasn't 20 years ago. So it's very much, I think, I think their job is very much about combating that because the reach of the, those other versions of Islam has, has grown so intensely because of the rise of satellite dishes and, and mass media. And, you know, you can go to the poorest slum and there'll be satellite dishes everywhere. Everybody has access to television. Um, so... I mean, obviously, they, they, it's not only that, that's not the only thing people are watching. There's also a lot of Western TV, and there's influences from across the world. But I think that the rise of Wahhabist preachers on TV in Morocco has been huge and hugely influential, and that's a big part of what they're doing is trying to counter that. And and they would say they would say they're not fighting traditional Islam, but they are absolutely bringing back the values of traditional Islam, which they think has been sort of twisted and turned by these more extremist preachers. An obvious question raised by your documentary is whether something like the Morshidat program could work elsewhere. The World Policy blog post suggests that Morocco is a special case because it's so homogeneous, 99% Sunni, uh, with King Mohammed VI seen as descended directly from the Prophet Mohammed. Can you see Moroccan Morshidat or local equivalents being effective elsewhere? Actually, programs, similar programs. I mean, obviously, with sort of differences for different countries. But there's a program in Turkey with women working in a similar role. There, I know that there was a similar um, project in Egypt. I'm not sure what's happened to that. In Tunisia, they're developing something quite similar. And I think actually, there are, there's a big um, rise at the moment. There's actually a, a big campaign. Um, led by Muslims for Progressive Values for, called Imams for Shi, which is about getting male imams on board to, to sort of encourage female participation, but also about encouraging women to practice as religious leaders and imams. So I think it's, it's a, I do think it's part of a global change. I think what, Morocco is the first place to do this in sort of official way, but a lot of countries have looked to Morocco and sort of been quite inspired by that, and the Morshidat have travelled to lots of countries to share their experiences and try and sort of help other people do similar things. I mean, interestingly, Casablanca Calling was used recently at a training program for female religious leaders in Bosnia. So it, I think there are similar things, you know, starting up and, and happening all over the world, which is really exciting. Along those same lines, uh, an approach was proposed by Elon Berman of the American Foreign Policy Council uh, to have Islamic leaders around the world send students to Morocco's new Mohammed VI Institute for the training of imams, both men and women, uh, which, like the Morshidat program, combines study of Quran and humanities. Uh, uh, and that uh, the, he proposed as well that uh, countries like the United States at least send financial su support to a, to an operation like that. What's your view on that way of exporting the Morshidat idea? 
Um, well, I don't know that much about the that training program. That's that's a new thing actually that sort of developed since we made the program. But it sounds it sounds very positive, and I think I'm you know I think that the experience that Morocco has now because the Morsi that have been working for several years out in lots of different communities is incredibly useful. You know, Morocco has that sort of experience that they, which they can share with other people who want to learn how to do something similar. So it sounds, it sounds very positive. Apart from greater understanding and support of Morocco's Morshidat program, what do you hope viewers will take away from your documentary? Well, I hope, it, I hope that um, people might expand their understanding of Islam and, and maybe if they have a negative perception of Islam and, and what it teaches, their their understanding might be changed by it. So I hope also that it opens the window into the situation that girls and women face in Morocco and many other countries in terms of accessing education and equality, you know, beyond school in life. Um, and and what the Morshidat are doing is one of, you know, thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of very, very important initiatives around the world to increase the participation of women and girls in society and in the world at large. Rosa Rogers, thank you. Thank you very much. Rosa Rogers is the London-based director of Casablanca Calling, a documentary about Morocco's female religious guides or Morshidas, focus of the recent World Policy blog post headlined Morocco Leads Religious Reform by Julia Lang Gordon. Featured in the upcoming WPJ Fall issue, History's Ghosts, you'll find articles on Ethiopia's original sin, the Oromo tragedy, on Beijing silencing the echoes of Tiananmen Square, and on the decline of sovereignty in the Arab world by noted Beirut-based author and journalist Rami Khoury. And listen next week when our podcast will consider the new issue's big question, what lessons from history keep being forgotten? World Policy On Air is a production of World Policy Journal at the nonprofit World Policy Institute in New York. Editor Christopher Shea, Managing Editor Yaffa Frederick, Podcast Producer Matthew DeMello. I'm David Alpern.